evening. Good evening. Good evening. There we go. Um, so, yeah, as you know, if you're comfortable where you're at, uh, then stay. If um, you'd like to be closer or whatever, that's good. Uh, I do want to challenge you something um, <clears throat> with something for uh, others that might come in, visitors. I have been, you know, some people don't like the fact that we have camera systems in here. I can tell you it's been very beneficial to some parents already when kids say this happened or that happened. But one thing I use it for, I don't, it's too much trouble to go back and review unless someone says something happened, I need to see it. It's, you know, just so you know, it's not like we're seeing every little thing going on. Just don't usually pay attention unless there's need. One thing I do as I'm preparing and praying before the services, that's usually what I'm trying to do in my office right before. That's been a recent change within six, eight months that I, I wasn't out here before. And what I found is because um, I generally, um, I generally um, just need that time to really prepare. But I notice that sometimes the way we're spreading out the regular tenders, that um, if new folks come in, there's not um, we're kind of on the outside and we're all the way back. So if they come in, it's kind of an uncomfortable of I don't know where I can sit down. And we may have 40 chairs available, but they're hard to get to. So just a little, you know, as we're all mission-minded, we're all wanting to reach our community, one thing to think about when you come in and choose your seat, think about am I, leaving, am I leaving room for others to come in and easily so they're not having to walk up in front of everybody. We're in a small space, about 88 chairs. So, you know, when we run a Sunday where we may have 50 or 60 in, in second service, leaves not a whole lot. So I just challenge you. Um, and I know, um, depending on hearing needs and all, uh, because this, this room is not really conducive to the sound system, and, and so up here it's really loud, and middle is somewhat, you know, and then, so I, I get that, and I'm not pushing somebody to be uncomfortable, but just keep that in mind. A um, little reminder. Another thing, two parents helped me with um, kids running through the building. We kind of a while back said, let's don't do that, and I've kind of caught some kids hiding behind sound equipment, expensive stuff, and where wires can be broken, that kind of thing. So a little bit of housekeeping. Um, now, on a positive note, um, I want to tell you that uh, uh, the action has kind of increased with our building project. So I uh, got word from the architect and engineers. They're making some final touches on the civil engineering. We will probably have our bank package ready to go to the bank to, re to apply for funds within next week. We will be having a preliminary meeting with the city next week. And I had a lengthy conversation with the maps department today. And if anything we need a prayer request is um, there's one thing in their rules, which they have good reason is you have to have permits before they will put us on the active list. So all the MAPS volunteers that are making decisions for next year, they aren't seeing us as a project. The reason is they've had MAPS workers show up in the area, pastors, oh yeah, we're ready to go. And they drive all that way with their RV. They plan around. They, they don't go to other projects. And oh, we almost got it. And they said they'd been there a couple months before they had to finally leave. So that's been a long-standing thing. They're very firm in that. Um, I did, your pastor did his best. I tried every, every bit of my persuasiveness uh, to see if there's some way to, to over that. Because we've, we've got the back end of our city. I really feel confident. There's no roadblocks here. Uh, the, the money is God's part, and so I don't believe there's a roadblock there. But um, pray, pray, pray over the maps. We need the volunteers. Pray that God will move on the hearts of our Hispanic congregation and their their mother church um, to help us, um, that God will uh, bring us the folks we need. Uh, we, are, we are really needing volunteer help because of the size building we're wanting to build for what we want to spend. So we need your prayers on that. But good stuff happening, and uh, very encouraged by that. Another positive, just to, to get into some testimonies before we get into the word. Um, <coughs> oh, wait, one more thing. 
if you are a parent or have um, other parents you would like to help them with biblical parenting, uh, I am looking to do a parenting class uh, at the beginning of January. Now, before you think, good grief, Pastor, I've seen your kids when you're not watching. Listen, this isn't my, this isn't my take. I'm, I'm looking at some material that's been very successful in other churches to teach from. So I'll be learning along with you. Uh, we had waited for a long time to do that, hoping I would find someone who would be just really the best person to, to present that. Um, it's hard as a parent to be the one getting up and, and teaching that, trying to tell other parents, and they've seen what your kids have done, you know, where you've messed up. But I'm looking at January, after we get through the holidays, uh, to do that on Sunday evenings, and, and uh, if, if, we, if it doesn't work real good with the space with college and career and youth, we'll look at another location, but uh, that is prime for me. So if you're interested, start letting me know now, because depending on interest is whether we'll go through with it in January. And then what we'll do is we'll try to get done with that before March and do Dave Ramsey again for anybody who has not taken Dave Ramsey financial peace. So keep those in mind. Now, testimony. I went to the VA today. I thought I was in there for an hour to two hour appointment. And um, uh, I didn't know that nerve conduction study tests and EMGs, all that stuff they're doing <coughs> on me was uh, took so long. But uh, the results they found got some attention and they brought some interns in. <laughs> so I'm in a little room. They brought people in to observe because they had a, a live example of whatever they were looking for. So anyway, they brought them in and they redid the test on me, basically. I got a round two of part of it. And uh, I posted a little bit on Facebook, but I didn't post the best part because um, since I tagged the VA, I figured they would see it and I didn't want to um, embarrass the, the doctor or the interns. But Man, I was nervous because they were taking a needle and sticking it in my muscles, and then it was hooked to the electrode, and they were moving it, and it was hurting. <laughs> and then they were taking uh, electrodes and moving around and shocking me, and it was causing my legs to jump, and it was <laughs> it was uh, horrible. But I was nervous, so I just got talk, you know, chatty like I do anyway, but worse. And um, but I started discovering that um, the doctor and the interns—I don't think they were believers, but they had at least knowledge—and. Uh, we got on the topic of homeschooling, which turned to our faith, and then um, some of them had psychology backgrounds and started talking about conditioning our nation. And, and it turned around, I, I don't, we got to it, and I started talking about some of the things God's been doing through um, the church and my own personal uh, <coughs> ministry of picking guys up off the side of the road and how God would just lead that. And uh, I found that there was, it was taking longer because they were stopping and just listening, and they weren't all anxious to get the test done. And I'm telling you, I kind of felt like I had church today at the VA in a small room, and it was really great. And I just thank the Lord that we still uh, serve a God who sets up divine appointments, and even in our discomfort, you know, in the worst of situations, um, and you leave lasting impressions. So uh, one that you'll laugh at, I had to go back in for a CT scan on a separate day, and um, lo and behold, it's the same guy who had done when I had to have injections in my tailbone. And so let's just say, you know, that's not the most, uh, that's a very humbling thing to have to have done. And so he goes, I remember you. And I thought, well, that's not good because <laughs> you're having to look at the wrong end. But, but uh, you know, um, I've found out that, you know, in the, in the, even though it's been kind of um, discouraging that I'm having to go so much to the VA lately, that I'm actually building relationships there. And I know for you, each of you, you know, if you, if you really just stop and take a breath and all the norm th- things that you're doing i mean god's got divine appointments lined up for us everywhere we go you know we just it just flows out of it just flows out of a desire for people to 
to have what you have. You know, and I'm not necessarily feeling like above them, like, oh, you've got to live my life. I mean, I've been that way before. I think I've lived my Christian walk that way before. But truly in those moments, it's a tender moment where the Lord kind of prepares your heart and you, and uh, he gives you a dose of humility and, you know, just out from this heart to really see life's change, you just have these wonderful conversations that, that uh, glorify him and give people a chance to really hear that there is a living God. One of the, the interns, she said, we are talking about the busyness of this area. And one guy came from California and said, man, he said, I can't just go in a place. People talk around here. I can't just go in a place and buy groceries. Somebody gets you in a conversation. He goes, you know, it takes twice as long. And, and this other one says, well, that's why I go on Sundays. Everybody's at church. And uh, so, you know, it, it kind of, that was the, the thing that clued me in. God was doing something. And so it, it, it just went from there. But, uh, you know, I wish I could say I got this morning and said, God, I just know that there's going to be a divine appointment for me. Um, I had some really Holy Ghost revival time, uh, but really my morning kind of started off, you know, I had to jump and try to hurry and get to this and that, and, um, but God is gracious. If, as long as you're willing, he will provide the opportunities. So <clears throat> I, wanna, I want us to, some of you that have grown up in church, you've really studied your Bible, you may be really familiar with uh, the book of Jeremiah and with Jeremiah the prophet. Um, they call him the weeping prophet. Um, and I want us to take a look at him. Some of you, it'll be a review, and maybe there'll be something you hear that you didn't know. Uh, some of you, it'll be all new. But Jeremiah really is an interesting person, really interesting character. Um, like I said, the rabbis called him the weeping prophet, um, and you can turn in your books, uh, Bibles, Jeremiah will be in the first chapter, but uh, they said he began wailing the moment he was born. Now, I mean, isn't that most babies? But maybe it's a difference in the way they wail. Maybe one comes out wailing like, oh boy, this one's going to be problems. This one's just going to be weepy. Um, when Michelangelo painted him on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, this is how he presented him, his posture of despair. He looked like a man who had wept so long he has no tears left to shed. His face had turned to one side, like a man who has been battered by many, many blows. His shoulders are hunched forward, weighed down by the sins of Judah, and his eyes are cast down as if he can no longer bear to see God, God's people suffer. And his hand covers his mouth. Perhaps he has nothing left to say. You know, uh, his name was Jeremiah, and his story begins like this. If we're looking in the intro to the book of Jeremiah, it's the the words of Jeremiah, son of uh, Hekiah, uh, one of the priests at Anathoth and in territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And through the reign of Jericho, uh, Jehoiakim, sorry, son of jo Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judea, Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. I practice this, but I'm about to cough, and it's really hard to say all the hard words when you're about to cough. Excuse me. <coughs> so this introduction tells us a great deal about Jeremiah. I mean, some of it's kind of, um, I, I had to write a letter recently to Maps, and I had the help of 
some maps people to help me con- uh, put it together. And I said, well, let me send this through my wife. She fixes my run-on sentences. When you talk a lot in person, when you write, you struggle with run-on sentences. You know what those are, where it's like you say one that should have been one sentence, but you make five sentences one. And so, um, you know, in this introduction, we're hearing a lot about the 11th year, the uh, son of this, the king of Judah, and a lot. But, but this introduction tells us a great deal about Jeremiah. He was a preacher's son. So I automatically start to identify. His father was Hekiah, and he was a priest. And he was born in the village of Anathoth, close enough to Jerusalem to see the city walls. What a place to be. I mean, one thing to be in the city of Jerusalem, but to have an outward view of Jerusalem to see the walls. <coughs> um, it was also at the edge of the wilderness where the land slopes down to the Dead Sea. And he labored as God's prophet for 40 years or more from 627 B.C. to sometime after 586 B.C. And for decades is a long time to be a weeping prophet, isn't it? I mean, if, I, if you start crying now, eventually, if it, no matter how bad it is, you run out of tears, don't you? I mean, eventually you get to that point where, like, I'm all cried out. i got to do something else. I may still be sad, but I won't cry out. But um, for decades... Uh, to be known as the weeping prophet. Uh, Jeremiah lived when, uh, little I- uh, when little Israel was tossed around by three great superpowers. If you remember, Assyria to the north, Egypt to the south, and Babylon to the east. So, uh, you know, he, he would be during that time and, and remember at least and be told of all the struggles of being surrounded like that. And he served and suffered through the uh, administrations of three kings. This is where we start to even relate to him a little more because Josiah was known as the reformer, but then he had Jehoiakim that was a dictator. And then have uh, Zedekiah, which and I looked in a couple of resources and they referred to him as a puppet. So apparently he was uh, probably had people behind him that uh, people had disdain because he was a puppet for the people behind him. (coughs) Maybe like... um, what people are saying about uh, what is named Soros or who is the guy now that everybody uh, says he, he pays for all these riots and things. So maybe maybe he was that kind of leader. You know, he, he, was the, he had uh, Soros behind him that was paying for all the trouble. But um, he was a prophet during the cold November winds of Judah's, uh, Judah's life as a nation right up to the time God's people were deported to Babylon. So Jeremiah himself was exiled to Egypt where he died. So he was in exile. So uh, Jeremiah had uh, a a troubling um, culture, to say the least, or a troubling um, life in that aspect. But then there's the divine call. (coughs) I'm sorry to cough in the mic. I couldn't grab it quick enough. But there's a divine call. Jeremiah's suffering began with a divine call. In the word, it says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is where it gets really good. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations in Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5. See, God did wonderful things uh, for Jeremiah before he was even born. Now, in our natural sense, we, we don't tend to think that that is possible, that, that things can already be set in motion for you before you're born. I mean, there are people who are not Christians who believe in, pre, uh, de- in destiny. Um, you know, that whoever's going to be born is going to be born, and it's all settled and, and that kind of thing. But 
uh, we do know that God formed him in his mother's womb, that God had a plan for him before he was even born. Um, it reminds me of when uh, someone prophesied to Jennifer and I that we'd have a little girl by the end of, uh, by the end of what was that, 2000, whew, 2010, I guess it would be now, 2010. And Lily was born on December 27th, but we hadn't conceived yet when that prophecy was given to us. I mean, talking about last minute, right? Going right to the end, December 27th. So, you know, she's about to be six. Um, you know, so we know that God can have a divine call. He, uh, he can lead through prophecy that before someone's even born that, that God begins to work on their behalf. Um, and then uh, God, uh, he knew Jeremiah. God formed him. He set him apart and appointed him as a prophet to the nations. He did all this long before Jeremiah drew his first breath or shed his first tear. The call of Jeremiah is rich in its, uh, its doctrinal and practice content. So when you look at this scripture, this right here for our day and time that we live in is a very powerful text. We're going to see that in a minute, but I want you to just hang on to the fact that, that you need to understand the book of Jeremiah, especially this first chapter, in the culture and in the United States in which you live because you will continue to deal with this issue of whether God begins to interact before you're even born. <clears throat> so among this important teaching are the, are, are the following, that number one, God is the Lord of life. We can draw from this passage that number one, God is the Lord of life. God formed Jeremiah in the womb. Jeremiah had bi biological parents, of course, but God himself fashioned him and knit him together in his mother's womb. Now, telling children who ask where babies come from that they come from God is good theology and it's not bad science either. And then the second thing that we get from this passage is a fetus is a person. That a fetus is a person. God knew him before he formed him in his mother's womb. So he was a person. He was identifiable to God, the creator, before he was even formed in his mother's womb. So a person is a human being created in the image of God, living in relationship to God. And this verse testifies that the personal relationship between God and his child takes place in the womb or even earlier. Now, I could stop here and we could just jump into the abortion issue. You know where I was headed. We could jump into that. I'm actually not going to really get in and focus so much on that because I think the passage, as we keep reading, it resolves that issue for the Christians. You know, I could get up here and just, uh, you know, spit and holler and jump on the pew and talk about how are Christians supporting abortion when they know clearly from the word of God there's this text. Well, we, we don't need to do that. Let's just keep going. Um, this verse testifies that the personal relationship between God and his child takes place in the womb or even earlier. And then third that we get from this passage is birth is not our beginning. Birth is not our beginning. Not even conception is our real beginning. In some incredible, ununderstandable way, God has a personal knowledge of the individual that precedes conception. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And this is the strong, intimate Hebrew word for know that is also used to describe the intimacy that happens uh, in the privacy uh, between a husband and wife. 
So that word used, I knew you, or that ter- those terms, I knew you, was a beautiful thing for God to say to his children. I, I knew you in the most intimate way that I have created for, for man to know. Um, I loved you and cared for you in eternity uh, and, and in the past. I made a personal commitment to you even before you were born. And it's a beautiful thing for parents to say to their children, God knows you, God loves you, and God has entered into a personal relationship with you. Now, I, I, we're getting ready to get into some other things too because I don't want you to think I'm going into a doctrine which we don't adhere to. And uh, I'll spell that in a minute. Some of you are wondering where I'm going. But this is not talking about that you can be saved before you're born. And I'll get into a little more depth after that. This is not predestination. God has already chosen who's going to be saved and who's not. But this verse holds special comfort for mothers who have had miscarriages. It gives hope to parents who have lost children in infancy or even for a woman who aborted their own babies. God knew your child and he knows your child. The fourth thing we can gather from this is we do not choose God before he chooses us. All right, now this is where, like I said, you got to hang with me and uh, don't think I'm uh, teaching something different than I have in the past. But he chose us before God we did not choose God before he chose us now I want you to keep in mind that there's a difference between choosing and accepting all right just keep that tucked back there's a difference between choosing and accepting the choice okay if you want to know who you are you have to know whose you are if you want to know who you are in God you have to first accept you have to know that you are his that he is not willing that any perish, that, but all have eternal life. So that means God's mission, if you want to think of God getting up, like he doesn't sleep, but if God got up in the morning and he put on his tie and his suit coat ready to go to work, if, if it's that, his job description is that none should perish, but all have eternal life. He's not willing. He's not willing. See, that's a very interesting thing to say. God is not willing. Well, good grief. God's will must be the most powerful thing in the world, right? He can will anything. I mean, he spoke the plants in existing, spoke everything. And this is what trips people up. They, they forget that little term. God's not willing. Are we as powerful as God? No. But the free gift of free will means that we have a decision after his will is done. Or his will is decided. I'm sorry, not after it's done, but after it's decided. After God decides what his will is, he has given us the, the free chance to choose whether we accept that or not. Okay, so let's go on from there. So, um, it, for the Christian, the answer to that question of if you want to know who you are, then you have to know whose you are, is that you belong to Jesus Christ. When did Jeremiah start belonging to God? When did God choose him? The prophet was set apart before he was born. But... Was he saved before he was born? Was he saved? Do, do, you, know, do you know anybody that, can, that, that teaches that? Any major denomination that will hold to you that you, you're saved before you're born? Well, some will say that you were chosen. If you, if you adhere to the doctrine of election, that you're chosen, and so it's already decided that you're going to be saved. But the same people will still say that you've got to make the choice. So how confusing is that? Well, if it's already decided, then why do I ha- how do I have a choice? Why would I make a choice if God's already decided? So this, this is what we need to clear up because 
Um, we are in very close alliance in so many other doctrines with other uh, denominations. We're, we're neck and neck on what we believe until we get to these topics right here. This is where, where it makes it very difficult for us to, to agree, and you need to know where you stand on this. While Jeremiah was being carried around in his mother's womb, God was making preparations for his ministry. So to, to set something apart is to sanctify it or to decide it to a holy service. And this is, this is where we start to differentiate uh, between this being a salvation issue and a service issue. Long before Jeremiah was born, God chose and consecrated him for ministry. Not for salvation, but for ministry. Given the, um, given the intimacy of God's knowledge of Jeremiah, it is appropriate for Jeremiah to address him with the title Sovereign Lord as, as we see Jeremiah 1.6. But God is sovereign. Here not only forms his people in the womb, he sets them apart for ministry. God's choice is not unique to Jeremiah. It's true for every believer. In this message and in us looking at Jeremiah, I'm hoping to open your eyes to the fact that, that God has chosen you before you were even born for whatever purpose he has for you, whatever ministry. But you still had to make the decision whether to follow him or not. So God's choice is not unique to Jeremiah. And again, there is a doctrine of divine election where, where um, which the Assemblies of God and New Song Church do not teach, where the scripture is used to compare Jeremiah's call to ministry, uh, one and the same with his choice to be saved. So in other words, he was saved, God already made that decision. But that's not what we adhere to. Keep in mind that the Old, Testa the Old Testament, this is the Old Testament passage. What was the covenant in the Old Testament? <coughs> well, uh, let's talk about being made right with God. When you sin to be made right with God, what did you do in the Old Testament compared to New Testament? Sacrifice. Animal sacrifice. You had to make some atonement, something costly. You had to come and sacrifice it to God, right? In some cases, you know, it was burnt on an offering, and then there's the issue of whether you could eat that meat or the priest could and all that stuff. You know, they got into all the, you know, now we worry what to do with it. Now you made your sacrifice. Are we going to waste this meat? It's kind of like we took some good um, pulled pork, came right off the smoker, smelling like good hickory, and, you know, that was for God, and we burn it, and everybody's standing around saying, does God really want us to just dump this now in the dirt and bury it? Or would he let us have a little of that? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, so this is a time when it was about sacrifice more than it was salvation. So this is where, when I, if I've gotten in discussions, which I try not to do because uh, it's pretty fruitless until somebody's really ready to get to the heart of the issue. If they're ready to defend their doctrine and their uh, denomination, then I just, I just don't want to go there. But this is where they, they forget something. I find every time they forget at which scripture and where it's found what the covenant was. You see, for God to say, I chose him, I chose him before he was in his mother womb, mother's womb. Well, Jeremiah, did he have to make sacrifices after he was born or not? Do we know that? Do you think if he was... Uh, set apart to the point that he didn't have to do what everybody else did to have to be to can he be right with God that do you think he had to participate in the temple you know the feast the sacrifices all that was he was he excluded from that you see that was the part of being made right with God there wasn't the salvation there wasn't the new covenant of salvation so so this is a major verse that is used to defend this uh doctrine of election 
But somehow in that we forget. And then you'll say, oh no, I've talked to somebody. They don't forget because they've got a couple other New Testament passages. So let's hit those. So um, when we get to that point, um, hold on, I lost my spot. I think I clicked over a page. Um, Okay, so um, again, Old Testament. But then another other scriptures used to back the doctrine of election, uh, like John 15, 16. You did not choose me. Jesus said to his disciples, but I choose you and appoint you to go after and bear fruit. Okay, so that's New Testament, right? Um, Praise be to God, the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in, in, in his sight. Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, 3 and 4. This promise is for the whole church. Therefore, it is for the comfort of every Christian. God not only knows you, he chose you, and he did so long before you were ever conceived. So first of all, the reference to God's choosing is not the nullification of free will of the creation to accept salvation. He's not willing that any should perish. Let's change it to, to fit this so that we can keep it with that teaching, you know, just temporarily because we don't change God's word, right? But, but God will not allow you to refuse him. He chose you. He's forced you. You cannot walk away. He, whoever he's chosen will be his. Doesn't matter what you do after that. See, you, you have to go down a slippery slope when you do that. So, um, what do you do with if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved? Why would you need to do that under a new covenant if you already chosen? It was already decided, right? And then there's Judas. What do we do with Judas in this? I brought this up before, but let's let's pick this bone again. What do we do with Judas? Jesus says he chose them, right? They did not choose him. So let's let's act this out a little bit. I'm going to be a one man human video for a minute. There's Jesus walking down the dusty road, right? And he sees Peter, John, he sees other disciples. We're going to wrap it all in one experience, okay? And he comes up on them and has his interaction. He says, follow me. He chose them to follow him. Follow me. Were their hearts immediately surrendered to, to Christ? We, you can kind of play with that a little bit, but really this is an adventure they're stepping out into, right? They start to follow him. But, but along the way... Eventually, have to get to who do you say that I am? They have to come to the realization of who he really is, right? That wasn't immediate. They had to. They had the thoughts there, but they had to be proven that he was the Son of God. So, so what do you do with Judas? Because Jesus chose him just like the other twelve. But Scripture's pretty, pretty obvious about what happens with Judas. Judas changes his mind. Judas willingly he chose Judas. Judas willingly went along, but at some point. He betrays Jesus and then gets hung right in the tree and the Bible says he got what he deserved. So, but there are some good thoughts with this theology of election. There are some things that they say in conjunction with this that I would agree on um, because of the heart in which they, they say it. Um, such as Eugene Peterson, uh, minister says, he offers a practical conclusion about God's choice of Jeremiah. It says, my identity... <coughs> Excuse me. My identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. There is something previous to what I think about myself, and it is what it is what God thinks of me. So we are all stamped with something in us. It's that God shape, that made in His image, that that um, 
basically understand from Scripture that we're supposed to reach every people group, but, but by creation, by what they see, that God should be apparent to all men, right? We want to reach them to the gospel, but you can see God in his creation. If your heart is willing to search out God, you'll find him. And so that means that everything I think and feel is by nature a response, and the one to whom I respond is God. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing that if people, if people get mad and curse, it's funny that God's name gets put in there. It's not funny, but you know what I'm saying. It's interesting. You know, I don't know that everybody does it in defiance to God consciously. But there's something very inherent. When you, when you are totally not trying to seek God, and you're trying to do your own thing and live your own life apart from Him, maybe even not even wanting to believe in Him, but there's many people who when they go to curse, they use His name in vain. Now why? Oh, Zeus. Oh, Buddha. Right? See, we kind of snicker at that, but nobody says, oh, Buddha. I hadn't heard it. Have you? Oh, Zeus. Uh, what's some others? Oh, Muhammad, right? No, that gets your head cut off, right? No, so we don't, we don't say those things. But, but it's kind of out of, I believe it's not just, you can't say it's just natural. See, there's a, a reverence and important. There's a stamp in our heart that, that whether we're trying to oppose him and go away from him or what, we can't get away from the fact. We have to deal with the fact of, are we going to accept God or not? It's stamped on us. So this is what I believe we're getting from Jeremiah. It's not a predestination. Your decision's made for you. Some God has decided he loves, and some will go as far as to say God loves some and hates others. I've heard that in this doctrine of election. You understand, God you know, talks about the sheep, uh, the sheep and the goats and the separation, although really they should know that's talking about the great white throne judgment, and that's at the end after the decision's been made, but God has not already determined some will be sheep and some will be goats, like before they're born. That is up to the, the believer to accept the prompting of the Holy Spirit, or the unbeliever accept the prompting of the Holy Spirit and make that decision. So, you know, everything I think and feel is by nature a response, and the one to whom I respond is God. I never speak the first word. I never make the first move. It's always God. Have you ever thought about that? Every time you have a thought about God, he's already started. He's already made the first move. When you have a thought about God, you're only responding to what he's already been trying to speak to you. You're driving down, you just have all of a sudden that worship song come on your heart. God has been trying to get you to slow down long enough to think about it. He initiated. Jeremiah's life didn't start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's ministry didn't start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's truth didn't start with Jeremiah. He encountered the world in which he, uh, which the essential parts of his existence were already ordered to him, and the choice was his to simply accept his calling. And we have that same choice ourselves. I've said it before, so God already has a path for you. He already has plans that if you yield to that, you know, Melissa and Danny and, and all of you, um, Bill and, and Ken, and Ken's already found his, you know, and he's, he's living in that, and he, you know, you, you can see the fulfillment in him, and he's doing it, and and Danny to the college and career, you know, that's where his heart is and passion is. And, and I know some of the others, I won't call out because you've shared with, that with me privately, but um, you've had a passion for a certain ministry. Brian Jarrett says that what really got him uh, in his sweet spot of serving the Lord is when his, um, let's see, let me, I don't want to mess this up. 
when his past and his passion and his pain intersected. You see, he was abused as a kid. He ended up an alcoholic, but he ended up as an evangelist at 16. He was, he was severely abused. And now they opened a huge, I can't remember how many, so I think several thousand acre a ranch dedicated to reaching abused children called the Lonesome Dove Ranch. And they've had big donors, and it's really cool. I mean, the horses, it's, it's like the real deal. And, and, and he's been most passionate about that because his past, that the devil meant for harm, that pain began to intersect with his passion, which was ministry, and to reach those broken hearts. But his pain, his passion, his past, they all intersected. So, um, so God has a plan for you, and he's waiting for you to take the cues from what has happened in your life and realize that it's not intended for you to keep wallowing in the mess but for you to let God take control of your life so he can take that and weave it into a beautiful tapestry and you can find out truly what he meant for you to do since before you were in your mother's womb. It doesn't matter if your mother was a drug addict, a prostitute. It doesn't matter what she was doing. It doesn't matter what your father was doing before you are born or when you are born. You see, God is not holding that against you. He never has. God is not willing that you're hindered by that. Satan is the only one trying to hinder you. You may think I can't speak because I can't speak in front of people because I've been injured or hurt. Or you've got to understand the anxiety I have. Listen, I get it. Some of you know this. So when I turned 40, I started having a weird occurrence where I'm having panic attacks when I get around a lot of noise and a lot of people. Jen surprised me with a 40th birthday party in our little 1,000-square-foot house in Bella Vista. And we had like 35, 40 people in there. And I had to escape it was the first instance I ever had it happen. Just like the room was closing and my heart rate went up and I just couldn't breathe and I had to, I had to get away. And I have those sometimes even at, at church. I'm like, God, what are you doing? I'm, I'm a pastor. I've got a church full of kids that got a lot of energy. What are you doing? You know, and he's been gracious. He helps me work through it. See, I identify with the fact that we all have things that we feel like are hindrances, but God is not the one putting those in front of your face. Guess who is? Guess where, guess where the true victory is in your life? It is staring the devil right in the face and say, you know what, I see what you're doing. You're, you're trying to get me to keep speaking that out, that I, I can't speak in front of people. I can't stand in front of people. I can't teach. I can't do this. I can't work with youth. I can't work with kids. I can't do that. I can't open myself up to things. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. And God is saying, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I already knew you could. You need to quit listening to the devil and stand up and find out just how sweet life gets when you're, you're in your sweet spot of ministry. So the fifth thing we get from this passage is every Christian has a calling. There is a general call, of course, to believe in Jesus Christ. We know the Great Commission, go make disciples. But um, everyone who believes in Christ also has a special calling to a particular sphere of obedience and ministry. Um, Teen Challenge, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but a long history, was it 50s, I think? Does it go back that far, 50s? And I'm trying to think of his name. They called him Socks on the streets of, was it New York, St. Louis? Help me. Brooklyn, New York. So he wanted to minister to the street gangs, and he noticed a lot of them had dirty clothes they didn't have, and he started getting new socks and hand out socks. And they, they started calling him Socks, open the door. Now, look at decades of what happened with Teen Challenge. Some of us know people including myself, who their lives are being changed right now, miraculously, by the ministry of Teen Challenge. What if Socks 
What if he had said, you know what? A little bit dangerous. I'm not really in their demographic group. How could I, as an older guy, relate to these street kids? You got it? You got to be very careful that you're not letting yourself be robbed. I mean, I, I'm watching guys blossom right now, and, and you hear the names a lot. And please understand, the reason I keep telling the stories is because I'm seeing something different happening with New Song than I've seen before. You know, uh, with Danny and, and um, Nathan, who are getting their minister's credentials, and I'm going to start having them preach more, and they're stepping out, and, and I'm seeing them blossom. Whether they see it or not, I'm seeing things blossom. Now, they'll tell me, oh, pastor, but I, this in my life. Oh, pastor, but this, you know, and these guys are like, hey, whoa. No, I'm not talking. I'm just saying that it could be, yeah, I eat too much ice cream, pastor. How can I really minister to people? You know, whatever. But, but I'm just saying that we all have those things, some more significant than others. There are some things sometimes we have to say, whoa, I got to get this in line before I minister. But, but God already knew the struggles you would have. He's not surprised by them. You've got to get over the fact that, that the devil would like to do, you've got to get in your mind that the devil would like to do anything to keep you from it and get over the fact that you are qualified. That you are qualified. God had work for Jeremiah to do. The prophet had a mission to accomplish and a message to deliver to gener- the generations. Jeremiah's unique uh, uh, appointment was to be a prophet to the nations and God intended his ministry to be um, international in scope. It was big. It was like Billy Graham. You're going to go fill the stadiums. Part of Jeremiah's job was to promise God's grace to the nations, proclaiming all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord in Jeremiah 3.17. But to be a prophet to the nations also includes announcing God's judgment. By the time he reached the end of his ministry, Jeremiah had pronounced a divine sentence of judgment upon every nation from Ammon to Babylon. Wow. You know, you worry about kill the messenger. I mean, he's bringing all the bad news to him that you guys are messing up. You know, it's like that YouTube video about uh, the overly honest preacher where he stands up the congregation like, guys, you're making me look bad in front of God. Just stop it. Jeremiah's calling is not for everyone. The first chapter of Jeremiah is mainly about his call for his, t- uh, for his time, not your call for your times. You know, everybody's going to have something different God's got them. It may look like Jeremiah's, it may not, but you, you have a call. And God not only knows you and chose you, he has a plan for your life. Um, there's a minister, Frederick uh, Meyer. He died March uh, of 1929. He is a contemporary friend of D.L. Moody. Um, Baptist pastor, evangelist in England, involved in inner city missions work, um, both sides of the Atlantic, author of books. Um, he, he was described as obituary as the uh, archbishop of the free churches. And this is how he eloquently puts what we're talking about here. He says, from the foot of the cross, where we are cradled in our second birth, to the brink of the river where we lay down our armor, there is a path which he has prepared for us to walk in. That means from the time that you come to know Christ, when you lay your sins down at the foot of the cross and you, you accept Christ, to the time when your time is done on this earth and you're ready to go to heaven or Jesus comes back and you lay down your armor. There's no more fight to be had. There's a path in between that he's already planned for you. Perhaps you're still trying to figure out what God's plan is for you. Many Christians long to know what God 
is calling them to do. And if you're not sure, there are at least two things you ought to do. Okay, so um, I'm going to throw this out here, and I know it's for one person, and they're going to get it, and they're going to understand why I didn't answer them in an email yet fully. Um, but I was asked, there's a mention about they're going to learn from some other believers, and I, and I said, um, the, proud of them for wanting to minister to that group. And I didn't do it unintentionally. Because I believe God is raising up people from our congregation that even when you go out thinking you're to be the student, God is going to turn around and surprise you that the things he prepared you for, you're going to minister to others. Because everyone has a purpose in a ministry. No one's left out. And you may not think it's time. You may think you're the student like Jeremiah thought he wasn't prepared. But God is preparing you for great things. And he's been doing it before you were even born. Many Christians long to know what God is calling them to do. And if you're not sure, there are at least two things you ought to do. The first thing is do everything you already know God wants you to do. Do the easy things. I just don't know if it's God's will that I'm supposed to stop drinking myself silly. Well, I think you know it's causing you harm, right? You know, we, we sometimes worry over the things that's just in your word. I wonder if God really wants me to stop lying. I mean, I'm pretty good at it, and maybe it's a talent, you know? Do everything you know God wants you to do already. You know he wants you to make disciples. You should never stop doing that. You're not waiting in holding pattern until God sends you a disciple. He's waiting for you to be open to the divine appointments he's setting up all around you that you just keep missing. And then um, you cannot expect everything uh, to be ready for God's call or even to, be, uh, to recognize God's call. Unless you are obeying what God has already revealed to you, this includes obvious things like such as spending time in prayer, Bible study, serving people with whom you live, uh, remaining active in worship of the church, and being God's witness in the world. The second thing you need to do is ask God to reveal his will for your life. Just be direct. God, I still really don't know. And I really like to get after it. I'm waiting on you to show me. I'm willing. Use me, God. Good prayer. If you ask, he's promised to answer. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him, James 1.5. And then he's a dubious candidate. I like that word, dubious. Not duber, Ken. We decided to quit blaming things on the devil, and we made up a character, Duber. And Duber did it. Until Bill tried to tell me that was his middle name to make me feel bad, and I found out it wasn't. But dubious. Some synonyms for dubious is doubtful, uncertain, unsure, hesitant, undecided, indefinite, unresolved. He was a dubious candidate. Jeremiah knew what God wanted him to do, yet even after he received his divine call, he was still a dubious, dubious candidate. Um, he says this in Jeremiah 1.6. This is where we get this. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, he said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. I don't know how to speak. What <laughs> Prophet to the nations. Prophet to the nations. Hey, um, Branson, next week, by the way, you got to go give a presidential speech. Uh, Trump asked. He's kind of busy, so you got to give a president-like speech. You know, probably thinking, um, what? <laughs> what? He was, Jeremiah knew God wanted him to do, yet after he received his divine call, he was still dubious candidate. And he had two main objections to becoming a prophet. His lack of eloquence, I can identify, 
God, why do you have to name everything with so many syllables? And why, don't, why couldn't they just name things like Oz? You know, the Bible. It's hard on us preachers, okay? So, um, and his lack of experience. God, you should have given me like a little chance, like to the nations, prophet nations. What about prophet to like my neighborhood? You know, first, let's start with that. And maybe a couple of years, I'll move up to my city. That's how we think, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, you know, I mean, uh, Danny, Nathan, anybody that's, you know, entering ministry when the pastor says, why don't you just take the, you know, both services on Sunday? And, oh, I'm already leading worship. And Danny's like, I don't know about worship and then preach two services. You know, it's kind of that feeling like, wow, you really come on now. So uh, to, to paraphrase, he says, oh, wait a second, Lord about this whole prophet to the nations thing. It doesn't sound like a great idea. Prophecy is not one of my spiritual gifts. As you know, I'm getting a C in rhetoric and in the synagogue. Besides, I'm just a teenager. I, didn't, I failed speech class, God. Come on. Was Jeremiah just being modest or faithless? Was it right for him to object to God's call or not? A good way to answer those questions is to compare Jeremiah with some other prophets. And because of time, I'm going to move fairly quickly for these. So pay attention closely to this because Jeremiah is not the only one we're going to pick on about this. Isaiah, this reminds me of Isaiah's experience when he saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple in Isaiah 6.1. Isaiah had one or two doubts about his calling too, but his doubts were different. Because see, Jeremiah had where the Lord reached out his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth um, because Jeremiah was worried about his eloquence, right? He was worried about him being able to speak. And Isaiah's main problem was that he had a guilty conscience. In Isaiah 6, 5, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I mean, isn't that just melodramatic a little bit? You ever say anything kind of like that? Everything is terrible, God. Everything's ruined. Whoa, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I say bad things. I live among a people of unclean lips. They say bad things. And my eyes have seen the King and, and the Lord Almighty. And Isaiah didn't, did, not, um, did not doubt his ability. He doubted his integrity. God, um, okay, so that jokes, those jokes I was telling with the guys, and yeah, you realize you're asking this guy, to speak on your behalf. I mean, I, I need to be cleaned up. But when the seraph flew from the altar to touch Isaiah's lips with a live coal, he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for, Isaiah 6, 7. He had the concern of whether he was worthy and God took, had, had a coal taken from the altar and touched his lips and purified him of all that. He'd been forgiven. Isaiah's experience was somewhat different from Jeremiah's. When God touched Jeremiah's lips, it was not to take away his sins. It was to give him God's words. And what about the call of Moses? We know this one. Was Jeremiah's call like the call of Moses? And Jeremiah's objection sounds very much like the objection Moses made when God called him. And I've told you that from some studies, they believe that Moses actually stuttered. That he had some kind of speech impediment. O oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. Exodus 4.10 Unlike Isaiah, Moses doubted his competence rather than his righteousness. Come on, church, you get this? Do you understand this? Teens, do you get it? 
You, you're, you're in a church where you believe probably, if, I was, if you're really honest, you're going to believe that everybody else kind of has this thing about God a little better than you do. Yeah, some honesty. Hey, I got a response. All of them are just staring at me, make me really uncomfortable every time I preach. Thank you. <laughs> now they're smiling, except Frankie. She's glaring at me. <laughs> I grew up feeling that way. The truth is, Jeremiah was a young guy. And he was like, I can't do it, God. I'm, I'm not experienced. I can't speak well. I, I just don't have it. Moses is like, Buzz, Moses is like I, I'm ugly and I talk funny. You know, Isaiah, Isaiah's like, you know what? I, I'm not really, I've got a problem with my mouth. I don't say good things. You see, church, it is truly, from my heart to yours, is truly a lie of the devil why each and every one of you aren't actively doing something consistently under the power of God in ministry. I'm not saying you aren't. I'm talking to those who feel like you're not. It is a lie of the devil who is keeping you in bondage from living out the calling God has placed in your life. Now you chew on that for a while, sleep on that tonight, and tomorrow you wake up and think about it. If you really absorb that, what happened to me will happen to you when I was at Walmart sat out in the parking lot, tears streaming down my eyes, wondering, God, when is it coming? You called me. I messed up. I got kicked out of Bible college. had to go back and do it, finish it. I'm running from something. I'm running from myself. I don't know when is this going to happen. And I look up, and I see a steeple on top of my building that really wasn't there. And I'm like, and my eyes are blurry and everything. And I've told this story before. I walk in, it literally felt like the ground was shaking under my feet, and I was praying for a cancer uh, a lady with cancer in my office and I was just not caring about the policies of Walmart. I was ministering. It was church that day. And that's what happens when you quit believing the lie of the devil that you're incapable, that you're unprepared, that you're not eloquent, that you don't have a pure enough heart. Jeremiah, precisely his objection. He was not sure what to say or how to say it. He may have been convinced about his uh, he may have been concerned about his foreign language skills because he was going to all the nations, right? Since God was calling him to international ministry, perhaps his grasp of Akkadian or Yergaic language wasn't uh, efficient enough. You know, it's like us. Uh, I'm going to Latin America. I don't speak any Spanish. And in any case, Jeremiah had his doubts about whether he could do the job. And Jeremiah's doubts find an echo in J.R.R. Tolkien's novel, The Fellowship of the Ring. A hobbit named Frodo. See, I got young people's attention some of you you ignored me the whole time until i brought up frodo <laughs> if you're being honest frodo has been chosen to make a long and dangerous quest to destroy the one ring of power a quest he himself would not wish to choose i'm going to ch change in my epic voice here so i really pull you in now okay he says i am not made for perilous quest cried frodo I wish I'd never been I never seen the ring. Why did it come to me? Why was I chosen? Now, if you'd read your Bibles like that, you'd get a lot more out of it. The answer Frodo has given is similar to one of God's prophets often uh, what his God's prophets often receive the same thing they hear. Such question cannot be answered. You may be sure that it was not for any merit that others do not possess. Not for power or wisdom at any rate, but you have been chosen. And you must therefore use such strength and heart and wits 
as you have. In other words, the mission God has for you, he loves the fact that you don't think you have it all. Keeps you humble. He loves the fact that it's going to shape and mold you because you're going to hit some things or you're going to seem hard because you don't think your skill set matches up. And that's where he's going to refine and hone that skill. He's going to throw in your face that all of a sudden the church grows and you got to go to two services and you're still going over by 10 and 15 minutes every time and you know people's attention spans. And all of a sudden, miraculously, when you start, even in the face of the doubts of your worship pastor, you are ending on time immediately on two services and you cut the services by 15 minutes each. The power of God. Now, to you, that's not a big deal. To me, worried about people getting up and leaving because I'm going too long, and then we're going to a shorter service and do it twice, preach it twice, it was a scary thing. And God got me through it. If I were to give up over every time the enemy tries to say, you're going to mess this up, you guys wouldn't be sitting here watching me, listening to me preach, it'd be some other guy. When God gives his servants a clear calling, he does not accept any excuses. You cannot give God excuses. You may try, but they're bouncing off of him because he knows the truth. I'm not eloquent. Doesn't matter. Not true. I'm all the eloquence you need. I'm not prepared. Not true. Before you even born, I had this planned out. I've got the battle plan. You need to listen better. I don't know about the finances. You apparently forgot I own everything. It's all mine. I'm, I'm not in a church that can prepare me. I put you there because you're going to be leading something like it eventually and you're going to feel really bad for your pastor then because you're going to find out how hard it is. Exodus 4, 11 and 12 says, The Lord said to him, Moses, who gave man his mouth, who makes him deaf or mute, who gives him sight or makes him blind, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God said much of the same thing to Jeremiah. To put it plainly, he said, don't give me that stuff, Jeremiah. Don't try to feed me that bull. Don't say I'm, the only, I'm, a, I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to say whatever I command you, Jeremiah 1.7. Do you realize as a teenager, as a young person, that there is a benefit you have that if God calls you and makes it clear and you go now, you are doing it before some of the other crud that happens in life starts to jade your view. And you get too settled in a pew. And you get so used to just hearing a sermon and being able to pass over your responsibility and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Right now your hearts are tender and that's exactly the time to listen to God and to act on it. It's what happened with me. Before I, before I even really got past high school, I had a clear vision and calling. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth, Jeremiah 1.9. God did not disqualify Jeremiah on the basis of his youth and inexperience. In fact, he treated him the same way he treated Moses. He did not deny on the basis uh, for the prophet's objection. Well, you're not really uh, sounding like someone encouraging. You know, if I go to pick a team for something, everybody's like, I don't know if I can do that and complain and all that. And the natural pastor's going to be like, oh, Lord, how am I going to do anything with these folks, right? But God doesn't see it that way. He expects you to kind of complain because you don't see what he sees. And so he's not disqualifying you because you complained or you murmured about uh, what he's put on your heart. He did not argue with Jeremiah about his speaking credentials or quibble with him about his age. Jeremiah may have had reasonable doubts, 
But God exposed his false humility for what it really was, just like he's doing through this sermon to you right now in your heart because the Holy Spirit's telling you to stop it. And Jeremiah had forgotten that God is not limited by human weakness. So God himself possesses everything Jeremiah needs to answer his call, and he possesses everything he needs to answer your call. In fact, enabling weak tools to do strong jobs is God's standard operating procedure. And I found out today that it's not on my head. I have a muscle disease, and praise God for it. (laughs) You're going to think this is funny, because they're actually finding an answer for a lifelong frustration of mine that I wondered why I couldn't seem to, I could exercise and do all these great things and get seem like get strong and then still be weak in some areas and god is letting my body be a scriptural life lesson i'm preaching out tonight that in my weakness he is strong when the doctor said to me today i don't know how i've carried more than i've admitted I have hurt for a long time. And I have not wanted to be a whiner or a complainer. The older I get, it's easier to whine and complain. You somehow feel justified. I've lived long enough. I can now do it. But God's grace, even the things I've failed at physically, I got to stand with others who didn't have that. I got to stare in the face of the devil, unknowingly stare in the face of the devil and say, you know what? Maybe my body hurts. Maybe everybody else's does. I don't know. But I really want to do this. I want that heart for every believer in this place. I don't know if everybody feels as scared as I do. I don't know if everybody hurts like I do. I don't know if everybody's had the abuse I've had. I don't know if everybody's had the failed marriages. I don't know if they've had those things. But you know what? I really want to do this. And it was really weird that today something I wasn't expecting tied a whole bunch of things in my life. I've been, I've been there's been a lot of things hitting. I was telling you I had a rough week last week. God is chiseling away at me, and I'm beginning to see a bigger picture here. I'm beginning to see that every trial, everything He's done in my life has been for a great purpose, and it's been to shape and mold my attitude. And when I have a bad attitude, God's even trying to turn that around. You see, it's all for His purpose, and He knew it before I was even in my mother's womb. Some of you parents may carry guilt because you feel like, you know, if your child's got a disability or if they've got something, you've carried guilt because of that. That's the devil. You need to let that go because God knew before he put them in your womb that those things, guess what? He's going to use that. Your kid is triumphant in him. Your kid, has a, your kid has a chance to surrender to Christ and have a life that is more powerful than the most able-bodied person, able-minded person there is. That is not a hindrance. That is a blessing. That is a charge of the Lord. That is a marching order to your child saying, look, other kids kind of got easy, and I'm sorry, you'll understand one day in heaven why I did this, but I'm going to do it for my glory. And one day, if you'll let me, and you'll let me train your heart like I wanted to do with Jeremiah, you'll be a prophet to the nations. You'll stand in the face of the devil and say, I'm not buying that. With God, all things are possible. If I can't believe that, I might as well pack up and go home. I want us to wrap up. Jeremiah had forgotten that God is not limited by human weakness. God himself possesses everything Jeremiah needs to answer his call. And the enti- his entire workforce is comprised of dubious candidates. 
everyone you think's got together, they don't. There are Moses, a Jeremiah, and Isaiah. You just didn't get privy to their conversation between God and them before they started. You didn't hear Billy Graham's. You didn't hear whoever your favorite minister person is. Personality. You didn't hear that. I feel sometimes I use many of my own examples too much in service, but I had to share with you that I felt people tonight need to understand that I get it. God gets it. You are victorious. It's a matter whether you accept what he's already planned out or you concede to the enemy. This does not mean that your gifts and your abilities do not matter. When you're trying to figure out what God wants to do with your life, they do matter. If you don't know what God is calling you to do, look at what you already are good at. He might be making it obvious. You're just like, oh, well, that doesn't seem real spiritual. I can draw. There's some kids that really love good illustrations that make the, pic- make the Bible come to life in pictures. Well, I really like to just write. Well, there's some churches, including this one, that could really use some good Christian bloggers to work with pastor and get some stuff out there that would draw people in because they'd hear the truth of God's word on a regular basis, whether in the building or not. You see, I could go down the list. Every one of you have something. It's just a matter of whether you're going to keep it to yourself or you're going to let it out. But once you know what God has called you to do, trust him to equip you to do it. God equipped Jeremiah to, to be an international prophet in some amazing ways. And what do great Bible scholars say about him? He was a polymath. You know what that means? A person of wide-ranging knowledge or learning. A guy who didn't think he really was qualified became known to scholars from then on that he had a wide range of knowledge and learning. And then a great scholar. He was someone who knew how to divide the word. A man of uh, prodigious learning, which means remarkable or, or impressively great in extent, size, or degree. He was able to have conver- uh, conversations in the fields of politics, economics, comparative religion, uh, geography, theology, botany, zoology, anthropology, military strategy, architecture, industry, agriculture, fine arts, and poetry. That's why we can confidently say as believers, especially parents, to our children in the Lord, all things are possible. Whatever God puts in your heart and your mind, it is possible. It will happen as long as you keep following him and surrendering to him. So next week, I'll probably have to wrap up because we're a little over. Um, I have to wrap up. Uh, there's a little more about Jeremiah I want to go into because um, there is some sad things that happen in Jeremiah. We, w- we want to cover those because they're important to the story, but uh, it may happen next week or another time. But I, w- I want to just stop for a moment. And I feel like there's some hearts that need to mend that you have been letting the devil kick you in the gut, robbing you from what God would have you be doing. And it's scary to step through that. So I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit do his work. Let's just close our eyes for a moment and and, uh, let the Lord speak to our hearts. Jesus, we just thank you, Lord. We praise you, God, that you are mighty, God. That, Lord, our victory is not tied up in our ability. That your victory through us is not tied up in our inadequacies, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Praise your name. If you'd like prayer, I know there is someone that 
I was given a name before service that uh, they would like prayer. Um, I think one of our young ladies, but if you would uh, like to come up, um, I'd love to pray with you. If, if one of the ladies come up, I'll ask uh, another couple ladies come up and pray with me with them. But um, you just come up here and stand if you'd like prayer, and I'd like to pray with you. anybody else like prayer you just come on up and we'll be glad to pray for you
We're just going to continue to have time in the altar when you feel the Lord releasing you. You don't um, just ask that you go out quietly uh, to the foyer, but um, when God releases you to go, you're, you're free to go. Uh, just challenge you to keep praying and seeking God, His direction for what He has planned for you. Just keep in mind, it's already been planned. He's already planned it. So you just need to step into that and let the Lord lead you. Amen. Have a good night.